Well, hey, uh, to get us kicked off into the morning, I just want to introduce you to this woman. Uh, this is my grandma. Uh, she's, she's almost 90 years old. As you can tell, she's, she's about this tall. I, I don't think she has ever in her whole life ever pushed the scales over 100 pounds. She's, she's a pretty tiny woman. Uh, and recently, after a doctor's visit, uh, the doctor said that she needed to try and gain a little bit of weight, maybe put on a few pounds. And so uh, my wife and I, we took her grocery shopping, and we got all the normal grocery supplies, and then we started to head towards the checkout lane. And my grandma says, um, hey, I, um, I think I want to get some ice cream. And I said, Grandma, that, that's a great idea. I mean, the doctor just said that you should put on a few pounds. And so, I, I mean, that has always worked for me, so why don't we go get <laughs> some ice cream? And so we, uh, we head down the, the frozen foods aisle and we get to the ice cream section. And I, I didn't realize this about my grandma, but she, uh, she's really particular when it comes to the type of ice cream that she wants. Uh, she doesn't want Hudsonville. She doesn't want Ben and Jerry's. She wants purple cow ice cream, purple cow ice cream. And she was very specific about the flavor, not, not golden vanilla, not French vanilla, just plain vanilla, purple cow ice cream. And so I find the, the purple cow, I find the vanilla, I pull a carton out of the freezer and I ask my grandma, uh, how, many of these, uh, how many of these do you want me to get? This little tiny old woman says, I would like eight. <laughs> eight? <laughs> Eight? Grandma, you go shopping like once a week. You want eight of these? <laughs> she, she knew what she wanted. And I was just, I was just amazed. I was blown away. Uh, by the way, uh, secret to living a long life, apparently, uh, about eight of these a week. That'll, that'll do it. <laughs> but I was just, uh, I was amazed. And as we begin today, I uh, just have a question for you. When was the last time? When was the last time that you were amazed? Uh, maybe you were at a concert and uh, you watched a musician play, a, uh, just a talented musician play a very difficult piece. Uh, maybe you were on vacation and you looked out and you watched the sun set over the ocean and, and, and you were just amazed. And maybe you were in your living room and you watched as your grandson crawled across the carpet, pulled himself up on the couch, turned around and took his very first steps. When was the last time you were amazed? Well, take that feeling of amazement and follow me into the text uh, we have as we begin today. We're going to be in the book of Mark chapter 1, and here's what it says in verse 21. It says, they went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and he began to teach. And the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. And so Jesus goes into the synagogue, he begins to teach, and it's amazing. People, people are blown away. It's like he's teaching with passion and energy and creativity. And people walk away and they're like, that guy? That, that guy's amazing. His teaching, it was just like he had all of this authority and all of this power. It was like he was speaking from the very like voice of God. And they were just glued to everything that Jesus 
had to say, every word. And as I read through that passage, um, if I'm honest, I, I'm just a little bit, a little bit challenged because I, I don't know if my picture of Jesus is really always all that amazing. If my picture of Jesus is really all that, that powerful. In fact, sometimes when I picture Jesus, uh, I picture something like this. And I think this is, this is great. Uh, this is great for, for kids. But there are moments in my life where I need Jesus to be powerful. I need Jesus to be amazing. I need him to be fierce, and I need him to be intense. Uh, here at Ada Bible Church, we have um, opportunities for you to submit prayer requests. Um, you could do it online. In fact, if that's something you want to do, you can head to adabible.info. There's a space where you can uh, submit a prayer request. I just make it a habit of mine to read through and pray over those requests every week. And this past week, as I was reading through them, I, I just noticed there were some real pressing and urgent needs. I mean, people praying for uh, prayers for, for, for their health. Uh, They're facing surgeries and biopsies and, and transplants. And I just prayed that God would move in powerful and um, in amazing ways in their life. Uh, prayers submitted about uh, people struggling with addictions, with drugs and alcohol. And I just prayed that God would move in powerful and in amazing ways in their life. Uh, people uh, struggling with just uh, feeling like they're on the verge of financial collapse. Uh, struggling to find a job, struggling to figure out how they're going to pay their bills. And I just prayed that God would move in amazing and in powerful ways in their life. And if you're anything like me, you have real struggles and real worries, real things that stress you out, real fears, and you need Jesus to be powerful. You need Jesus to be amazing. You need him to, to be able to step into your mess, to be able to step into the darkness and watch as the darkness has no other choice but to obey him and his words. And today, as, uh, as you leave this space, I just hope you know, I hope you leave knowing that Jesus really is powerful and that he really is amazing, that he really does care about who you are that he is bigger than some watered-down cartoon version of Jesus. And uh, as we look through the passage that we're going to work through today, uh, there, are, um, there are a bunch of different healings that Jesus does. And I just want to pause for a moment, because I know that there are some of you here in this space, and you have prayed for God to move powerfully in your life. You have you've prayed for him to move and bring healing into your world. And that is, that's not your story. In fact, you would say it just, it just feels like God is, God is silent. Uh, Pastor Jeff, uh, I think he said it really well two weeks ago when he said that what we read here, we, we read these uh, previews of what is to come in the future. In the future, there will be a day where there will be no more tears and no more heartache and no more grief, no more sorrow, no more mourning, no more cancer, no more accidents, no more death. 
because Jesus' kingdom will come in its fullness and all of those things will be gone. Everything will be made new. And for some of us right now, we live in that in-between space and our hearts ache for that day to come. And if that's you and you're here today or you're joining us and watching us online or at our other campus, I, I just... I just hope you still leave here knowing that Jesus is powerful. And because he is so powerful, he made a way through the cross so that that day in the future is possible where everything will be restored. Everything will be made new. Well, today we're in uh, the book of Mark, uh, and uh, if you're unfamiliar with the, the Gospels, the Jesus stories, there are four biographies, uh, four Jesus stories, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And uh, Mark's uh, writing of the stories of Jesus, they're a little, it's a little unique, it's a little different, because Mark is writing to an audience that is unfamiliar with the Bible. Uh, maybe they've never touched the Bible before. He wants to write in a way that they would understand without knowing all of the backstory. And I love the book of Mark too, because if there was ever like an action movie made out of one of the gospels, it would be the book of Mark. Mark has the most action scenes, the, the most car crashes, uh, the most moments where the hero kind of turns his back and walks away in slow motion while the gas station explodes behind him. Like, that's the feeling you should get as you read through the book of Mark. In fact, when I meet with young adults who are brand new to the Bible, and uh, they want to read one of the Jesus stories, I always tell them, start here, start with the book of Mark, and when that begins to, to sink in, then move on to some of the other Jesus stories. And so today, as we uh, work our way through this story, we're going to uh, we're going to see three different scenes. And uh, all of these scenes, they happen right here in a city called Capernaum. Uh, Capernaum um, is right here. It is at the uh, top, the northern part of uh, the Sea of Galilee. If you were to follow the river you see at the bottom, you, you would go down, you would find Jerusalem, and you follow a little bit further, and you'll get to the Dead Sea. But, but most of the stories that you read about Jesus, they happen way up here, right around the region of Galilee. And the first scene that we're going to read about today, the first scene is called Jesus Encountering Our Fears. And here is what it says. It says, Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. And the people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? Like a, a new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. So uh, Jesus is in the synagogue. He's, uh, he's teaching. I actually had an opportunity to travel to Capernaum, and uh, archaeologists have uncovered this area of the synagogue. And as I was standing in the synagogue, uh, I just realized something as I was kind of like uh, just 
just looking it around and checking it out. It's not that big. In fact, it's pretty small. Maybe on a good day, you could fit 100 people in the in this synagogue. And so when this uh, man stands up, this impure spirit, and he starts to cry out, everyone would have become silent. Everyone would have heard. Everyone would have been dialed in onto this interaction. Uh, here in this space, if, if maybe somebody out in the back started uh, making a commotion, um, some of you maybe over in this section would hear, but maybe over here you might not even realize what's happening. And for those of you watching online or at our other campuses, you might have no idea that there's anything happening here in this space, but not so in the synagogue. In the synagogue, everyone heard, everyone was silent, and everyone was watching What's going to happen? It says it's a, an impure spirit. Other translations say it's an evil spirit. It's a walking, talking representation of evil in our world. And it's just come face to face with Jesus. How, how, how is this going to go down? Uh, the evil spirit says he, he cries out and he says, have you come to destroy us. It's like the evil spirit is talking for all evil in the world and saying, have you come to destroy evil everywhere? Have you come to rid the world of anything and everything that is far from God? And what's the answer to that question? Yes, absolutely. It's like this uh, evil spirit knew the power that Jesus had. And I love how uh, the encounter ends. Uh, in, a, in a movie, you would see like a priest and a priest would put on um, this fancy outfit and they would spend the whole movie preparing to battle this evil spirit. And they would have like a cool looking cross and some special water and there would be lightning and thunder and wind and rain. And the, the last half of the movie would be this priest and this evil spirit battling it out. And, it, and eventually at the very end, the, the evil spirit would leave. But that's not what happens here. Jesus says, be quiet and get out. And it's done. Jesus doesn't get sweaty. His pulse doesn't rise. His blood pressure doesn't go up. Jesus isn't worried. He isn't stressed. He isn't nervous. He isn't wondering, how is this all going to end? With a few simple words, evil is gone. And I don't know about you, but I think that's something that I need to be reminded of in the middle of the night. When it just feels like darkness is creeping in. Who has the power? Who has the authority? Who has the confidence? Who with a few simple words can speak and darkness has no other option but to fall to its knees and obey. It's Jesus. It is only Jesus. And for you, uh, when darkness begins to creep in, when, when darkness begins to suffocate you, I hope you just know that Jesus isn't afraid. Jesus isn't scared. He's not nervous, and we can trust him 
with our fears. And so where is it? Where is it in your life that you are clinging on to a problem or a situation or a circumstance and Jesus is saying, hey, you can, you can trust me with that. That thing that you're afraid of, you can hand that over to me because you can trust me. You can trust me with your fears. What do you need to trust Jesus with today? And so the, the people, they just watched this amazing showdown between an evil spirit and Jesus. And they're, they're filing out of the synagogue. Uh, scholars say the, the synagogue services would usually end around noon. And so as they're leaving, uh, they're headed home, and uh, what, what, what are they doing? Well, they're probably doing what you and I do uh, after church. Um, they're just they're going to go get something to eat, and uh, that's exactly what they do. Jesus goes with Simon and Andrew, and they go uh, home to get something to eat. And when they get there, uh, they realize that there's a, there's a problem because uh, Simon's mother-in-law, she's sick. In fact, she's really, really sick. And that brings us to scene two of our conversation today. Uh, scene two is called the fever. And here's what it says, starting in verse 29. It says, as soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. As Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. And so he went to her, he took her hand, and he helped her up. And the fever left her, and she began to wait on them. And so they, they get to the house, and Simon's mother-in-law, she's in bed, and she has a fever. In the ancient world, um, you didn't really take a day off of work. If you were sick, you worked through it. And so for her to be in bed... When guests come over, I, I think that says a lot about how intense and how problematic this fever really was. Like, like this, was a, this was a big deal. And a fever in the ancient world, I, I mean, sometimes, sometimes you got a fever and you recovered. Other times you got a fever and you just spiraled and spiraled and spiraled and, and, and you never recovered. You just never knew how a fever was going to turn out. In fact, uh, they had this saying. They, say, they would say, if there's a fire on the outside, uh, someone can put out that kind of fire. But if you ever get a fire in here, if you ever have a fever, only the powerful work of God can put that kind of fire out. Only God can heal a fever. And so she's in bed and, and, and she's sick. And it says, uh, immediately they turn and they tell Jesus that the mother-in-law is sick. Why, why do they do that? I mean, they turn to Jesus immediately. I, I don't know, but I think, I think they just watched Jesus do something pretty amazing. And they're wondering, well, maybe, uh, maybe Jesus could do something here as well. I, I don't know. Maybe he could. As we read through the Gospels, we read about Jesus doing all kinds of amazing healings. But, but, but this is chapter 1. Jesus hasn't healed anyone yet. I don't know if they think that he can actually help. But it says that immediately they just turn and they ask him. 
what would it look like for us when we face problems and circumstances and situations where we would just have that attitude to immediately turn to Jesus, that, that kind of dependency on him. I was uh, having lunch with a young adult. And at lunch, she was just kind of talking through some uh, problems she was facing, some issues she was trying to work through, and some, some really big decisions that she was just trying to navigate through. And I was giving her uh, just some advice and some, maybe some steps, some practical steps she could take as she's working through some of these, uh, some of these big decisions. And at one point, she just stops me. She says, yeah, yeah, yeah okay, but um, here's what I really want to know. I, really, I, I just really want to know what decision does God want me to make? Like what, what choice does God want me to make here? And I just stopped for a second and said, well, um, I, don't, I don't know. Have you, how many times have you prayed and just asked him what choice you should make here? And she pauses for a second and says, yeah, um, none. I, I haven't prayed about this. And I can so relate to that because when I have a problem or, or a circumstance or a big decision in my life, like the first thing I do is Google it. And then uh, after I do that, I might seek out some wise counsel, some advice from people in my life. And then like way down the list, uh, like number 12, I will uh, finally realize that maybe God has something important to say about this decision, that God actually might know a thing or two about what I'm facing. But it says they immediately turn to Jesus, immediately. Uh, C.S. Lewis, he writes a book called The Chronicles of Narnia. And uh, there's this one scene in the book where uh, two of the characters, Polly and Diggory, uh, they're riding on this flying horse. And they're, they're flying all over the world. And uh, they're getting cold and tired and hungry. And they uh, see this uh, big open field. And the horse decides to fly down and land in this field. And when the horse does, the two characters hop off, and then the horse begins to eat the grass. And Diggory looks around and he says, well, I'm really, I'm really hungry too. And I see that, I mean, you, I can't eat grass. Like the horse can eat grass, but I can't eat grass. It seems like maybe Aslan would have provided something for me to eat for lunch as well. And the horse looks up and stops chewing on the grass for a minute and says, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure that he would have. But I have a feeling that he likes to be asked. What would it look like for us to just have this dependency on Jesus? When they had a problem, it was their number one. Immediately they turned to Jesus. And they turned to him and they say, hey, my, my mother-in-law, she, she's really sick. She's, she's got a fever. And Jesus goes in. And he bends down and he takes her hand. And again, with no drama, no suspense, he takes her hand and the fever is gone. Actually, the, the Greek word here is really strong. It doesn't just say the fever leaves her. It says the fever flees from her. Uh, the Homer in Homer's Iliad, he uses this exact same Greek word when he describes this scene where a man picks up a spear and hurls the spear. 
Like, this fever is launched out of her. Like, the power of Jesus is so intense that one minute the fever is there, and the next, it's gone. Simon's mother-in-law, immediately, she, she stands up and she begins to wait on them. At one second, she can't even lift her head off the pillow because she is so weak. And the next moment, she is full of energy, like zero recovery. And she gets up and it says she immediately, she, she begins to serve them. She begins to wait on them. As scholars think that she probably, because it's a Sabbath day, she begins to prepare the Sabbath meal for her guests. And I, I just... Uh, Read through that, and I just wonder, um, maybe we have been blessed. Maybe God has moved powerfully in our world and through our lives so that we could then pour that blessing out on those around us. Yeah, maybe we could say it this way. Uh, we have been healed to serve. We have been healed to serve. That car accident that you are fully recovered from. And now you could just say, God, I'm here for you. I have been healed to serve. Uh, maybe that breakup that just left you emotionally crumbled and over time you have watched God just restore your joy and bring back your laughter. And now you could say, God, I'm, I'm here for you. I have been healed to serve. Uh, for those of you in this space and those of you watching online uh, who would say that you have trusted Jesus with your life, that you are followers of Jesus, there was a moment when you carried all of your sins on your pack and then you turned towards Jesus and he healed your soul. And you can just say, God, I'm here for you. I, I have been healed, I've been healed to serve. Has God moved powerfully in your life to heal your heart or your mind or your body or your soul in such a way that you could just say, I'm, God, I'm here for you. I have been healed, I've been healed to serve. And by the way, uh, have you found a space to serve? If you're looking for a space to serve, uh, you can head to adabible.info and you can click on the tab that says serve and you'll just see a myriad of different environments and spaces where people serve around our community. And if you're, uh, and any day to just pull someone aside of the hundreds of people who serve here and just ask them a question, hey, um, that thing you're doing, what, why are you doing that? I think you would begin to hear story after story after story of God's goodness, of the ways that God has moved in their lives and brought about healing. And they would say, what, what do you mean? What, like, why do I do that? I do that because I have been healed to serve. Uh, Simon's mother-in-law, she gets up with a cold sweat of the fever still on her brow, and she begins to serve them. And it doesn't take long before uh, they hear a knock on the door. 
And so uh, Simon and, and, and uh, Jesus, they, they go to the door and they open it up. And what they see, they open up the door to scene number three for our conversation today. Uh, scene number three is called the friends. And here's what they see. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. And so imagine the scene. They, they open up the door, uh, and there's a husband and a wife standing there. And uh, the husband begins to speak, and he says, yeah, my, uh, my, my wife, she gets these headaches. And it's not just an average run-of-the-mill headache. It's like a debilitating migraine. And it used to be that she would get one, and then it would be a couple months before she would get another one. But now it seems like she gets one, and she recovers. And as soon as she begins to feel better, another one sets in. And then he has a question. He says, uh, Jesus, can you, can you do anything about this? Do you have the power to heal? Uh, behind this couple is a dad, and the dad's holding his son, maybe, maybe three or four years old. And just by the, the way he's holding him, he can tell that there's something wrong with his legs. Uh, maybe he was in an accident and the, the bones didn't heal correctly. Or maybe he had a birth defect. And behind him is another person, and then another and another, and another, and another. And it's like the, this line stretched out and began to curve around the house next door. It was like a whole town came out because they saw that Jesus had this healing power. And what does it say? It says they brought everyone, anyone and everyone who is sick or ill or demon-possessed, anyone and everyone who needed the healing power of Jesus, they showed up at the door. And deep into the night, Jesus stands at the door and puts his hand out and heals person after person after person after person. A few years ago, um, my son, he was, uh, he was just complaining about a sore thumb. And uh, so I looked at it, I figured he was just maybe twisted it or jammed it when he was wrestling with his brothers. And uh, I took a look at it, and actually it looked like maybe the bone was, was broken. And so I took him to urgent care, and uh, they took a look at it and said, well, it's not broken, but we don't, we don't really know what's going on with it. And so you need to come back uh, to get an x-ray in about a week. And so we didn't think anything of it. We came back a week later. He gets an x-ray, and the doctor comes out with the x-ray and says, yeah, I still, I'm, I'm, I'm still a little bit confused here. I'm not exactly sure what's going on. And so I'm going to refer you to another hospital. I'm going to refer you to another doctor. And so uh, he says, I'm going to refer you to the Lemon Holton Cancer Center for Pediatrics. And you need to go see an oncologist. An oncologist, a, a cancer doctor. My 10-year-old son needed to go see a cancer doctor for this mysterious growth in the bone of his thumb. 
and my whole world caved in. It was like my world just collapsed. And my wife and I, we did the only thing that we could think of, and we sent out this SOS text to our small group as a group of friends. And within seconds, my phone began to ring, and it was one of people in my small group asking what we needed, how they could be uh, helping us, and uh, how they could be specifically praying for us. And it turned out there was about a week between the time that we got some further testing done and learning of his diagnosis. And that was the longest week of my entire life. And about halfway through that week, my wife and I decided uh, that we were just going to spend the day fasting. We were going to skip the meals that we had planned for that day, and we were just going to spend that extra time praying over our family, praying over our son, praying over our situation, asking Jesus to move. And if memory serves correctly, I think every person in our small group fasted that day too. Why? Because they were with us. They were for us. We needed somebody to grab us by the hand and march us across the city to find the house where Jesus was staying and bang on the door until he answered. And they did. They did because there are people. There are small group. We had a, a, about a, a week after... Um, getting those tests done where we learned his diagnosis and after praying over and over and over again, being surrounded by people who love us, we got the incredible news that it wasn't cancer. But as we read through that text, I think we should just be asking the question, who, who needs to get in line? Who do you need to help bring to the feet of Jesus? Do you know someone who needs physical healing? I'm sure, I'm sure we all probably know somebody. Uh, somebody who's battling something. There's no shortage of heartache and hurt in our world. And you're probably uh, helping them connect with the best doctors available. And you're willing to take them to any appointments that they need to go to. But are you also praying that the powerful healing work of Jesus would move through those doctors? to bring healing to your friend. And maybe you know someone who just needs emotional healing. Uh, they have some wounds and some hurts. And again, you're helping them connect with the best counselors in our area. And you're willing to pick up the phone any time of day or night that they call you. But are you also praying that the powerful and healing work of Jesus would move through you and through the counselors that they're meeting with to heal your friend. Maybe you just know someone who is far from God and they are carrying all the weight of their sins and their baggage and their regrets and their mistakes and their failures and they're carrying all of that and life is starting to get really, really heavy. 
and you're a good friend, and, and you've talked to them about Jesus, and you've even brought them to church, but are you also praying that the powerful, amazing, healing work of Jesus would soften their heart so that they would turn towards Jesus and he would take all of their sins and make them brand new again? Who, who is it? Who is it that needs to get in line? Who do you need to be bringing to the powerful and amazing and miraculous healing work of Jesus? That, uh, that brings us back here to my grandma. Uh, we get home to her house and we begin unloading the groceries and I uh, put all of these groceries uh, cartons of ice cream onto the counter. And then I prepare to use all of my 1990s Tetris skills to open up the freezer and begin to stack these inside. And when I open up the freezer, um, I see that there are already four cartons of ice cream <laughs> in the freezer. I'm like, Grandma, you, are, you already have four of these. And she said, well, yeah, 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 but that's, those are for like emergencies or like some ice cream shortage or ice cream catastrophe. <laughs> these are the ones for this week. And two times in the space of an hour, uh, my grandma just amazed me. Uh, she just amazed me. But I have a feeling if uh, any one of us were just walking through the frozen food aisle and we saw a little old lady, almost 90 years old, pushing a cart, I think we probably would uh, think some things in our minds, maybe uh, that there's nothing really probably nothing really amazing about her. Uh, maybe she's lived her life. Uh, maybe she's, we would say, maybe, maybe she's even uh, like outdated. Or might even think that maybe she's irrelevant. And that's not true. In the space of an hour, my grandma amazed me two different times. But sometimes I catch myself walking through my spiritual life, thinking that Jesus isn't really that amazing. He's really not that powerful. Uh, he's probably outdated, out of touch with the things that are happening in my world. Maybe even Jesus is irrelevant. And when I get in that space, I don't ask Jesus about my fears, because why bother? I mean, you can't do anything about it anyway. I don't ask Jesus about my friends because why bother if Jesus can't do anything about it anyway? But when it comes to our fears, Jesus is bigger and more intense than anything that we could ever face. And when it comes to our fevers, the, the illnesses in our world and diseases in our world, we just watched as Jesus did some amazing things, and the thing that we think is impossible just flees from his presence. And when it comes to our friends, if we really do believe that Jesus is powerful, then we would do anything and everything to bring them to his door. So I just want to pray for us I'd love for you to stand here and stand on our campuses and just pray for the miraculous, powerful work of Jesus to move in amazing ways in our lives as we face a new week. Let's pray together. 
God, we believe that you're powerful. We believe that you are amazing. And because of that, God, we long to just turn to you immediately with anything and everything that we have on our plate this week. And so, God, right now, we just pause to take that into our hands and lift it up to you. Whatever it is we see and feel and know that we're going to face this week, God, we know that you are bigger and more powerful and more amazing than we could ever imagine. And so, God, I pray that we would be reminded of that truth and we would be able to face those things with courage and confidence, knowing how powerful you really are. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, thanks so much. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.